Hey everyone, I have a great guest for you all today. I'm joined by Jordan Cheriton of uh, Status Coup. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So I have you on uh, to talk about your work with uh, covering the Flint water crisis. But before we get there, um, I want to ask first about this news that just broke uh, with New York canceling their presidential primary, meaning that effectively, if you're a Sanders supporter, you can't vote for him in the upcoming primary. What are your thoughts on that as a New Yorker? Uh, I think it's ridiculous. I think that this is the biggest city in the world. Uh, The Board of Elections, I don't think, is actively working on COVID health response. So I think that they could figure out a way for, um, you know, uh, remote voting, uh, mail-in ballots, uh, those kinds of things. Um, Obviously, Bernie Sanders has expressed his desire to not for voters to go out physically to vote, but for voters to you know, mail-in ballots and those kind of things so he could collect more delegates. So obviously, you know, the New York Democratic Party, like many states, is kind of just part of the national Democratic Party machine. A lot of the officials in the New York Democratic Party uh, are are very linked to Joe Biden, longtime donors of Barack Obama, President Obama, Biden, Pelosi. So they're basically uh, doing the bidding of what the DNC and Biden wants, uh, because obviously, uh, Biden does not want Bernie Sanders uh, collecting more delegates. Biden, although, frankly, the platform doesn't really mean much, I don't really think Biden really wants to be bothered uh, by the progressive uh, wing under Bernie uh, with a platform fight. Uh, so one way to do that is, is to deprive Bernie of as many delegates as possible. I also got to imagine this, this will have an impact on damp ballot races as well, because there's still those are still going on. So to cancel the top of the ticket um, and then still have the other elections going on, I mean, they really have no excuse for doing this. It it just appears simply to cut out progressive voters. And it's really, I think, going to hit a lot of people the wrong way um, in in the sense that they will be less engaged come November because they see how the Democratic Party has treated uh, Bernie Sanders and supporters of his that want to see this dramatic shift in the Democratic Party that... I mean, we're seeing how weak the Democratic Party is right now in terms of just fighting Trump alone, let alone all the other issues when it comes to not supporting big policies like Medicare for all and, and whatnot. So I do think it'll have a, an impact on morale in that sense. Um, uh, I just want to yeah. add, I mean, Andrew Cuomo, who the media has hoisted up as kind of like the coherent Biden. <laughs> and <laughs> if you polled them secretly, uh, all these folks would probably rather him than Biden. He's a governor of the state. I mean, this is not happening without Governor Cuomo's say. Um, so begs the question, you know, what is being promised to, uh, Andrew Cuomo behind the scenes? Yep. Uh, one more thing before we get to, uh, Flint, you tested positive for COVID-19. So tell us about that experience, maybe where you thought you, you potentially got it from and how's, uh, how's it been going so far dealing with that? Yeah, it's really crazy. I thought I was kind of recovered and I was feeling back to myself. And then yesterday, suddenly I I started coughing again. So uh, even the most mild cases, which definitely, you know, I wasn't hospitalized or anything. So I'm lucky. Even mild can last for a a while. Mine's gone on three weeks now. Um, Yeah, my girlfriend and I took every precaution, masks, gloves. Uh, My guess is I got it at a supermarket here in New York City Mm because it's very difficult to order uh, a lot of these um, Instacart and those kind of things, there, there's just no available delivery windows because everybody's doing it. So we went to the supermarket probably like over three weeks ago. And I remember a couple days after that, 
the cough starting, followed by the temperature. So um, yeah, it was. It's definitely. It definitely was draining at its worst. The cough really. It was so violent that it really was hurting my lower back, which I previously had surgery on. Uh, my ribs hurt from coughing so bad. Uh, my fever didn't pass like one hundred one point something. So that that's good. Um, and I was lucky because I went to the. I didn't even know my doctor would have the tests, but they did have the tests, so at least I could know I had it. But uh, yeah, it's definitely lingering and. Um, I definitely didn't rest as much as I should have. I was working on this Flint story uh, kind of down the stretch. So. Well, it's good to see that you're uh, at least able to speak on this now and, and really um, and do this reporting because this is incredible. So you, you initially broke the, this piece in, uh, in Vice, um, and then you also had a second uh, piece in Detroit uh, Metro Times. So I guess first big picture here, before we even get to the actual breaking of the news, just give people a... Uh, a reminder of the impact that the Flint water crisis has had on the actual residents uh, of Flint, because you have been on the ground there, uh, I mean, for, I guess, years at this point, um, discussing this crisis, talking with people one-on-one and their experience with how it's impacted them. Just give us some uh, some idea of how this has really impacted the actual residents of Flint. Yeah. And I also think that a lot of times people see like Flint in a headline, and it's not that they don't care, but they don't realize that what happened in Flint is similar things are happening all over the country. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely a national story. Um, it just passed six years on Saturday, uh, and people are still, to this day, getting rashes from the water, uh, losing hair in the shower, um, the long-term effects. I mean, my partner Jen and I, who broke the story with me, we were canvassing neighborhoods two years ago. Uh, we kept on getting, you know, no one answering the doors. The next person who answered the doors, we'd ask, I can't tell you how many times we were told, yeah, that person just died of cancer. Not like elderly people, young people, wow. uh, people, people with liver problems, kidney failure, Parkinson's, um, serious, serious immuno problems, uh, seizures, um, brain lesions. The list goes on. And uh, the media mostly focused on lead when, when they were even covering it. Uh, but there was also bacteria in that water, other toxins. So it, it's just been an ongoing disaster. And it actually is linked uh, in, a, in an indirect way to the coronavirus pandemic because Flint makes up 20, Flint makes up 40 percent of Genesee County's cases in Michigan. Flint is part of Genesee County, uh, but it only makes up 24 percent of Genesee County's population. Wow. So obviously if you're severely immunocompromised, not mm-hmm. just elderly people, but all ages, and there's a deadly pandemic, uh, that's bad news uh, for you. So let's get to this news that you broke now. Um, dealing with uh, former Mich- uh, Michigan Governor uh, Rick Snyder and also his top advisor, uh, Rich Baird. Uh, I guess big picture here, uh, just, just at first, what is the actual like? What are the big pieces out of your reporting um, that I believe this is a year-long investigation that you had? Yeah. So to kind of make it so people would understand nationally, imagine there was like a Robert Mueller in Flint, a special prosecutor, and he was fired three years in uh, by the new attorney general, and his <laughs> and, and his key people were fired. So there was a Robert Mueller type, uh, a special prosecutor assigned to the Flint water case. In 2016, he and his investigators were building up. It seems to me kind of like old school, like bottom up. So get people on the bottom to flip on middle level Mm. people and then hopefully flip on top level people. The new uh, attorney general came in in 2019, a Democrat, 
at she basically cleaned house. She she fired him. She fired other prosecutors. So we found that the the fired prosecutors had secretly subpoenaed, uh, brought in for confidential interviews, uh, former Michigan governor's chief of staff, uh, his treasurer, and his essentially his kind of like right hand man. He had a weird title, but he was known in Michigan as the governor's right hand man. Uh, so they were all secretly compelled to testify, which nobody knew. It wasn't reported. And we found out that the former prosecu- special prosecutor was building a case against Snyder himself and had found that Snyder, the governor, was actually warned of the hazards about the Flint River before the water switch, not after. So a year before, uh, he was warned that there's bacterial risks to using the Flint River as a drinking source. Uh, there were carcinogen risks, which are like cancer-causing uh, chemicals. And we also learned that uh, the governor first became aware of a deadly waterborne bacteria that killed as many as 115 people, Legionella. He told Congress he became aware in January 2016 and held a press conference the next day. We found out he became aware of it in October 2014, so 16 months earlier. There's a lot of other bombshells we found out, but those were the headlines. He was warned before, and he knew about the deadly waterborne outbreak 16 months before he told Congress. That's insane. Um, Let's hit on some of the other pieces in this as well. So there's also uh, payoffs to Flint residents. Is that right? Explain uh, what those payoffs were about. Yeah. So, you know, Jen and I have been reporting in Flint for years. So I kind of kept hearing about the governor's right hand man. And that's why I always go to residents and activists first, because that's where you find out the truth. Politicians lie to you. So I kept hearing about him. And I heard that uh, there was in in one case a a sick resident who kind of went ballistic at a town hall. He was removed by a police officer. um, And a couple weeks later, the governor's right hand man is in his living room, (laughs) him and his wife. Uh, and the governor's right-hand man was essentially, it seemed like a miraculous offer at the time. Uh, we're gonna, the state's going to pay for your medical treatment, very expensive medical treatment. The guy was having seizures and bad memory loss from the water. But hush, you can't tell anyone about it. Can't go to the media. Can't say the state's paying for it. So this was one of several uh, kind of, it was described to us as payoffs. And it was being investigated by the, the previous prosecutors that were fired. Uh, that the governor's right-hand man was kind of like identifying these these residents who were getting media attention and kind of threatening to the Snyder administration, who was had a big public relations campaign trying to kind of sweep this under the rug, depict it as improving. So uh, they they paid this family off. We we obtained audio of that meeting after the original Vice story, uh, which showed the governor's right-hand man describing this as a pilot program, even though. No one else was on it. Uh, We found that the governor's right-hand man kind of went around town telling other residents that he was a philanthropist. He was paying for it out of his own personal pocket, even though we have text messages and emails showing the state paid for it. Um, So this was, you know, your classic, I mean, I'll say alleged, but but payoff. uh, When Adam, the, the person who received it, kept telling them, my lead levels are going down, my seizures are getting better. Because they said, we're going to make it available to the rest of Flint if it mm-hmm. works for you. Uh, th- they got the runaround on that. Wow. Uh, the, other, the other part of it is we found out that, uh, you know, he told this couple, uh, I'm going to go talk to my best friend about this, Governor Snyder. They were college roommates and, and longtime friends. So I don't know if he did or he didn't, but by what he said, it suggests that Snyder, the governor, might have known about these kind of sweetheart deals going around. Wow. Um, also... You also discussed the uh, 
the silencing of whistleblowers and also uh, how Flint's ex-mayor was punished for not towing the line. Um, describe that aspect of it as well. Yeah, so this is really, uh, to me, one of the bigger parts here, because think about it. If your water source gets switched, right, and people are getting rashes, hair loss, I heard nosebleeds in some cases, you want to you wanna take action quickly on that to, to, to protect health, to save lives. So six months after the water switch in October of 2014, uh, just happened to be a couple of weeks before the governor's reelection, um, there was a, a whistleblower inside Snyder's administration, his environmental lawyer. And, and this was a brilliant woman. She, she was magna cum laude graduate from Harvard, Oxford masters, I mean, really smart person. So she sent an email to uh, the governor's chief of staff and other officials uh, in his administration, basically kind of like sounding the alarm. Like this is urgent, Flint, Flint River has E. coli in it, TTHMs, which are cancer-causing carcinogens, and this is an urgent matter. Flint needs to be switched back to uh, Detroit's water system, which it was originally on. This was the same period, by the way, that General Motors stopped using the Flint River because it was destroying its parts. Mm. So sh instead of like you would think the environmental lawyer sends this warning, maybe put her in touch with the health department, the environmental department, they, moved, they referred her to this, the governor's right-hand man. Uh, who was described to us as kind of an old-fashioned fixer uh, who threatened and coerced people. So she's sent to the governor's right-hand man and uh, Flint's emergency manager at the time. They have a conference call. She's told it would be too expensive to switch Flint back to Detroit, and we're working on different things to, to treat the water differently. After we, were, we, we found out, she was also secretly subpoenaed. So it was known publicly, she had testified publicly in court, but we didn't know that she had been secretly subpoenaed too. And in the investigative subpoena, she broke down crying and she revealed that the governor's right-hand man basically threatened her after this call and said, don't ever send another email like that again. And she kind of, so, you know, when we think whistleblower, we think someone who went public, she was basically stopped from going public and a source who knows her and spoke with her said like, it haunts her. She wishes she did more. She she wouldn't talk to us citing the criminal investigation. But this if they would have listened to her, there were others sounding the alarm and switched back to Detroit. Uh, lives could have definitely been saved. Yeah. I mean, there is so much in this piece that you you have to think this is going to lead to to new charges. But you also discussed there's a statute of limitations uh, to press new felony misconduct charges. Um, so discuss that. And uh, I guess if there is a possibility of something coming out of this. Yeah. So for your audience to know, again, like imagine Mueller is fired after three years, the special prosecutor was fired, but he had already advanced the most serious charges against the two officials that were in the governor's cabinet. There was year long pretrials and the, uh, two judges ruled that the head of the health department and the chief medical officer in the state, they had to face involuntary manslaughter charges in front of a jury. The, the, the new AG came in and she dropped all the charges with real, basically kind of like citing that the previous prosecutor's investigation was flawed and blah, blah, blah. But again, he had successfully got them a judge to bind those officials over to face jury trial. Uh, basically, this previous Saturday, uh, the statute of limitations in Michigan for misconduct in office, which is a felony, uh, is six years. So this past Saturday was six years. And the attorney general's office has kind of been all over the place. 
Uh, prosecutors from her office met with Flint residents in 2019. They told Flint residents we're, we're facing the statute of limitations in nine months. But now in response to our story, they're kind of saying, well, there's different statutes for different crimes and this doesn't stop us from charging people. So I don't know. They wouldn't give us a straight answer. But as far as misconduct in office, the, the law in Michigan is six years. Um, to date, nobody is in prison. Uh, nobody has faced a jury trial. Um, Governor Snyder has never been charged with anything. Uh, his right-hand man has not been charged with anything. Actually, right before I came on with you, his right-hand man publicly went forward saying, calling for an end to the investigation, citing we can't take resources away from the coronavirus pandemic. So I'm sure that's clearly why he wants yeah. the end of the criminal investigation. <laughs> wow. um, so it's, it's really, you know, to me, people ask, why do you keep covering this? Because it's not just about Flint. This kind of corruption happens not just in D.C., but in states, in cities. And if the media just forgets it because it's six years later, it goes on. So um, hopefully there's accountability. I mean, honestly, not because not for not for status quo, but like what we found could be made into a movie. It, it's really yeah. one. There's a private there's a privatization element in here that they were trying to privatize the water um, and nothing's been done and nobody's been held accountable. Yeah. And you touched on the next piece I want to get to here is the, the lack of media interest. Explain, like, why do you think there is, I mean, I understand coronavirus, big story right now, but even when you were doing a lot of reporting on Flint before, I just feel like the media was not picking up on it in the way that they should have been. Um, why do you feel there is this lack of interest in this story when clearly, as you describe, it, it is uh, an example of what could be going on uh, around the country? Well, if you start on, this, on the local level, I mean, I, I remember when I was at the Young Turks, I'd go to Flint, and it's almost like these residents felt like, uh, you know, any journalist caring was like a rescue helicopter mm -hmm. because their hometown paper really was just kind of writing, you know, based essential press releases <laughs> from Snyder's administration. The Detroit Free Press was kind of covering it, but was not as much. Other Michigan outlets were kind of not covering it. And if the Michigan outlets aren't going to cover it, then the national outlets, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't really think it's a conscious thing, but there's a big problem with the majority of our media being consolidated in New York and D.C. Uh, as I'm sure you've talked about and others have talked about, most of these people are very, very out of touch. They mm -hmm. think Trump and his tweets is the only thing that matters in America. I think they matter. I think they matter, but they start all those outlets, the New York Times, Washington Post, definitely have more resources than status quo does. So uh, my, my best answer is I think, unfortunately, and part of the reason there's such disdain for the media, there is a real lack of, there's a tension when it breaks. You know, Maddow went, right? And the media covered it mm -hmm. in 2016 for a week to two weeks. Like, that's all they covered. But then it trails off. I mean, we could go on, right? Uh, the the protest against police brutality, the media is there and then nothing. Uh, I mean, there, that there's very little follow-up coverage, and the follow-up coverage is re where you really learn of a lot of the corruption that goes on, because mm -hmm. corruption excels when there's no cameras or there's no journalists. Uh, I can tell you, David, and thanks so much for covering this, um, it's been actually harder to get media to cover it than actually break this. I mean, it was hard to gather this information, but uh, I won't put everyone on blast, but I have people, te journalists telling me, well, it's a local story, or oh, well, coronavirus is, is taking up most of our time. And I said, yeah, I'm not asking you to write a dissertation, you know, maybe a 400 word recap, maybe have a weekend editor do it or mm -hmm. a, a nighttime. 
I mean, I've worked in digital media. They, they definitely could do it. So it's a conscious choice not to, and you have to wonder why. Um, I think part of it also is, I don't have proof of this, it's just my opinion, but you know, if you're the Detroit Free Press, uh, they want access to the Attorney General's office. They want mm, access yes. to the current governor. Well, the story didn't, didn't make the current governor, Governor Whitmer, look that good either. And she's climbing as a media darling, potentially being Biden's VP. Mm -hmm. So I think that, unfortunately, when the journal journalists on a state level and national level are so, in, you know, they feel so um, dependent on access and being held in good favor, uh, they don't want to rock the boat. And the real victims of that are, are not just the residents of Flint, but there's water contamination going on in other cities. There's uranium uh, problems uh, from uranium mining. Uh, there's fracking uh, problems in other cities. There's, got, you know, P PFAS, which is not covered that much, which are cancer-causing chemicals that have been found in water bodies all over the country. And if journalists don't cover it, I mean, the coronavirus pandemic will end. I mean, the after effects are going to last for at least a decade. Mm -hmm. But a lot of, you know, there's, there, there, follow the money. There's a reason that all the hedge fund people in Wall Street, one of their number one investments is water. Because eventually the, the, the greedy, uh, you know, greedy experts know there could be a run on water because a lot of it is contaminated and the media is not covering it. Yeah. Also, in, in terms of uh, just big picture when it comes to the media, they really are focused at this point on being entertainers as opposed to being a voice for the people where, like you were saying, it's not just not just about like the initial story of what happened in Flint, but also the follow up and discussing the corruption and that is the media's job to discuss things, even when it may not be entertaining for most people. It is important to put those those um, those stories in the headlines and really get people thinking about what their government should be doing uh, for them. Um, yeah. Well, I would also say, honestly, this is part of the problem, not just with media, but culture. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember. Uh, maybe you'll drop it in. But like Michelle Wolf, the comedian, dropped the mic at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Flint still doesn't have clean water, which is great. And for, for, for a couple hours, everybody's on Twitter like a war, water warrior, right? Everybody cares. Yeah. And then I can't get those same people to retweet it. Mm -hmm. I can't get those same, same people to share it. So it's kind of like, again, I don't think it's malicious. I don't think like these people would leave the residents of Flint to die in a desert if they had water. But I just think it's part of like coastal bias yeah. uh, where you think the number one thing is, is Trump. And I got news for you. This happened under President Obama, right? It hasn't been made better. But bad things are happening under Democrats, under Republicans. And if you think that Flint couldn't happen to you, it might not be a water switch, but it could be something else that makes your kids sick or makes you sick or, you know. And I, I also think, you know, I won't get into the whole list, but we also have to call out our own, right? I mean, there's a lot of people in the progressive sphere that kind of cover, cover similar things every day. And, but it's, it's, it's been difficult to get even some name brand progressives to speak out on this, even just tweet it. And I think that we can't just, we can't just bitch about the corporate media, right? If, 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 if progressive independent media is exposing corruption, we need to thrust that forward like you're doing and Jimmy has had me on and Crystal uh, and, and Sagar, because at the end of the day, I really believe there's different theories. I think the only way you get corporate media to do the right thing is to just shame them. Uh, you really have to shame them into doing the right thing. I mean, look at CNN. They just were forced to even cover this because a random person on Twitter found a clip on Larry King Live showing that yeah. uh, Tara Reid's mother called in, uh, not specifically going into 
the sexual assault allegation, but basically alluding to a powerful senator that had done wrong. Yeah. You know, CNN only covered it because of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I really think I hope uh, there's egos and everybody, you know, some people don't like other people. But I really hope when corruption is shown that really has devastated a community, um, a, you know, Flint used to be the middle class. It used General Motors was born there. It used to be the envy of other cities and states around the country. It, it was economic booming in the 50s and 60s. You know, we have to we have to speak out uh, for other communities so that if it happens to you, they will speak out for you. Absolutely. Well, you are one of the few um, people in this space that are really doing like true investigative reporting. It's an incredible piece. I'll link to it below the video. Also, just discuss the status coup and, and what you do over there. Yeah, so uh, Status Coup, I founded it with my partner, Jen. She, you know, I get, I'm on camera, but she helped break this story with me. Um, and it's an, it, we are an investigative news outlet. We kind of double, double dip. You know, we do the investigations, but also as best we can, the daily live streams. Uh, I think we covered on the ground more of the 2020 campaign than any other outlet uh, in the independence piece. We were in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, California, Nevada, Michigan. Um, and really, uh, you know, it sounds kind of corny, but the, the, man, the mantra is to give the microphone back to the people. We don't really interview pundits. We don't really, we try to stay away from the experts who are usually conflicted. We go into communities and the first thing we do is, is do you want to call it contact trace? We find residents who have been affected who then get us to other residents. This story we broke is really because uh, I was lucky. TYT invested in me to go to Flint so many times. And then with status quo, I've gone. I couldn't have broken this. Jen couldn't have broken this if we didn't build up a hell of a lot of trust and sources through between the both of us over 20 trips to Flint. So that's what we're trying to do on a, a broader scale. We're not taking corporate money or all that, which makes it very difficult, but it's it's the right thing to do. So, yeah, I mean, it's tough times, but we're building through uh, paid memberships. So if people, it, you know, as as low as 16 cents a day, five bucks a month. Uh, that's how we grow. So statuscoup.com slash join if anybody's interested. And uh, whether it's us or, or other folks, especially now, you got to support independent media because I think we saw in this election, the corporate media machine is very powerful. Biden got over, almost $100 million in free advertising yeah. between South Carolina and Super Tuesday. And if you look at the exit polls on Super Tuesday, uh, like 40 to 50 percent of the people who voted for Biden decided in those final days they were being flooded by a basically a, a coordinated super PAC on CNN, MSNBC, yep. New York Times. Uh, I don't know how we get to match that, but I do know uh, uh, as far as status quo, it starts with just like showing up. You know, mm -hmm. we, you got to show up in these communities. We went to Flint when nobody was there covering it. And that's how you break these stories. Well, you do fantastic reporting. I'll link to everything below the video in the description box. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, David.